This morning's sermon is from Revelation 13, verses 11 to 18. And I'd like you please to have your Bibles open in front of you so that you can follow along with what is being said today. 666, the mark of the beast. Even people who know very little about the Bible have heard dark rumours of this number and have heard of the mark of the beast. In Perth in the 1980s, if you wanted to be seen as especially rebellious, then you might add 666 to your personal number plate. Sid, six, six, six. And with the coming of new technologies, Christians loved to speculate about what the mark of the beast would be. Some thought that it might be a barcode. Others thought that it might be some kind of tattoo. And others again thought that microchip implants could end up being the prophesied mark of the beast. These foolish speculations have distracted us from the true character and danger of the mark of the beast. Today we are going to learn the meaning of this number, 666. We're going to learn what the mark of the beast really is. We'll see that far from being wrapped up in some kind of frightening futuristic technology, the mark of the beast is as old as humanity. And billions of ordinary people live with that mark here and now. Instead of speculating on what the mark may or may not be, we must ask, are we ourselves living with this mark here and now? Our passage today contains three warnings. And I have prayed that we will hear and heed these warnings from Revelation chapter 13. The first warning is that we must beware of the counterfeit Christ. Look there at verses 11 to 13. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. <coughs> in Revelation 13, we now see three evil beings. We've seen the dragon, we've seen the beast arising from the sea, and now we see a beast from the land, what I'm going to call the earth beast. We see here a triarchy of evil. In fact, this is a hollow mockery of the Trinity, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The fifth and sixth questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism ask, are there more gods than one? Answer, there is but one only, the living and true God. And then it asks, how many persons are there in the Godhead? 
Answer, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And this is where this evil counterfeit trinity is no trinity at all. It is not like God, one being in three persons. No created being can truly resemble the living God's unique transcreational Trinitarian existence. And you will have seen in our passage another counterfeit. The earth beast has two horns like a lamb, and it was given authority, and it has the power to give breath to something lifeless. It performs great signs, bringing fire down from heaven. It was mortally injured, but recovered. The earth beast is, in fact, a counterfeit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, traditionally, there are three ways in which a person might rob you. They might break into your house at night while you're asleep and rob you in secret. Or they might accost you on the highway with a pistol, your money or your life. Or they might trick you into willingly giving them your treasure. And we know that the world is full of swindlers, scammers, and con men. And the devil is the father of con men and scammers. You see, you were made by God for Jesus Christ. You were made to obey him as Lord. You are made to enjoy him as the creator of all that is good and beautiful. You are made to join with the angels in worshipping him. And the devil, he wants to steal your worship. And so he comes as a counterfeit Christ to con you, to scam you into giving him the worship that you were created to give to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the likeness between the beast and Jesus is superficial. Jesus is the creator, the beast is a creature. It's in the name. The beast wows us with fire from heaven and his showy firework display is nothing like Jesus' miracles. Jesus healed, he drove out demons, he made food for the hungry, he made wine for a wedding, he raised the dead and calmed the storm. His miracles were healing and redemptive. They pointed to his mission as the one who came to seek and to save the lost. In fact, the beast performs a sign that Jesus specifically refused to do. In Luke chapter 9, we read that when James and John saw people rejecting Jesus, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And although the beast looks like a lamb, 
it speaks like the dragon. Now don't think here of a sinister Darth Vader-like voice. The beast always sounds wise, caring and reasonable. His lies are honeyed, just as they were in the Garden of Eden. And whereas Jesus came to bring glory to the Father, the earth beast directs people's worship to the sea beast. And so this earth beast is a counterfeit of Jesus Christ designed to steal our worship, the worship that we were created to give to Jesus. Now, the question I'm sure you have is this. If the beast is such a, a bad counterfeit, then why are we duped? Well, here's the reason. We're duped because we want to be. The beast doesn't demand that we humble ourselves. The beast doesn't demand that we give up our sin. The beast doesn't demand our repentance. The beast doesn't demand that we take up our cross. The beast doesn't demand my soul, my life, my all. I notice that Harvey Norman is now offering six years interest-free for their products. What they're saying is this, take the product, enjoy it, and don't worry about paying for it. That's so far into the future, you can forget about it. And this is the devil's deal. Keep your soul, your life, your all. Keep your sin. Let the future look after itself. We accept the counterfeit Christ because that's so much easier than repenting and trusting in the real Christ. Because it suits our sinful nature to accept this counterfeit. So the first warning is beware the counterfeit Christ. The second warning is this beware of counterfeit worship. And we see this in verses 14 and 15. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in the honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. The counterfeit works. People are willingly scammed, and so they honour the earth beast and make him their master and themselves his willing slaves. And he commands them to erect an image of the sea beast. Now this, of course, is talking about idolatry. Now idolatry has two parts to it. Idolatry is honouring something in the place of the living God. We think of the Philistines who worshipped an, an idol of Dagon in place of the true and living God. Or 
idolatry is misrepresenting the living God, like the golden calves in Exodus 32. Aaron made those calves and said to the nation, This is the God that brought you up out of Egypt. And so the living God was misrepresented by that image. Now the beast's idol is given breath and speech and the semblance of life. And it orders the deaths of those who refuse to bow down to it. Now there's a lot to take in here, isn't there? In the Western world, when it comes to idolatry, well, we're too sophisticated to worship things of stone and wood. And we're far too scientific to worship the gods of Greece, like Zeus, Aphrodite, and Ares. But we do give primary honour to the creature rather than the creator. And sometimes we do this with celebrities and sports stars. We give them great honour and adulation. We honour a creature rather than the creator. Sometimes we give this honour, primary honour and primary adulation to a romantic attachment or to a family member. Again, giving that primary honour to a creature rather than the Creator. And I think we know that we all give primary honour and the first place to ourselves. And we're just creatures. We give that primary honour to ourselves rather than to the Creator who made us. And we find that we always tend to put our trust and hopes for a safe and happy future in things other than Christ. In medicine, for example, or superannuation, a benevolent government, government or a high-tech military. Now, notice the twofold character of this idol, this image that is described here in Revelation 13. It can move and speak. It's seductive, it's attractive, and it crushes those who refuse to bow down to it. Now, this makes me think of Google's motto, don't be evil. Now, that's a beautiful sounding motto, isn't it? It's seductive. That's the life to aim for. If I follow this motto, don't be evil, then I am being good. Make it your aim to amass millions of dollars for yourself. Just don't be evil. Be as sexually irresponsible as you like. Just don't be evil. Leave your wife and children if you need to. Just don't be evil. Don't be evil is a seductive idol that at the end of the day allows us to do exactly what we want to do and to feel good about that. And it also gives people the excuse to crush and silence those around them, around them whom 
they consider by their own standards to be evil. The fact is that anything which replaces or misrepresents God is an idol. And idols are always seductive. And they always crush those who refuse to bow down before them. The third and final warning of our passage is this. Beware of the mark of the beast. Look there at verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and that number is six, six, six. Note that last warning. This calls for wisdom. This calls for insight, because a lot of distracting nonsense has been written about the mark of the beast. And if we're going to understand it properly, then we need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And that's the number one rule for interpreting the Bible. First, notice that the mark is a direct parody of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This says Moses, is what identifies God's people. His law bound on their hands and on their foreheads. And the hand is the place of doing, and the forehead is the place of thinking. Now, Deuteronomy 6 is not about tying phylacteries to our foreheads and wrists. And this is what the ultra-Orthodox Jews do. They take a little box, which they call a phylactery, and in that box they put a piece of the law, and they tie the box to their right wrist, and they bind it to their forehead. This is not what Moses intended God's people to do at all. The teaching of Deuteronomy 6 is this that whatever we do and whatever we think, let it be done for God and under his law. That's what marks a Christian. That's what marks a person who belongs to Jesus Christ. Their doing is done for him. Their thinking, their thoughts are for him. But those who belong to the beast, 
have something very different at their right hands and at their foreheads. They have this number, 666. This is the name of the beast. This is the number of its name. What does it mean? The book of Revelation is a book of symbols and numbers, and we need to think and interpret scripture with scripture and determine what these symbols and numbers mean. What does 666 represent? Well, if seven is the number of perfection, then six is the number of imperfection. Three is God's number, for God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 666, therefore, is the perfectly imperfect representation of God. It superficially resembles God, but it falls short in every way. 666 is therefore the devil's number. It's the number of man. It's about devotion to the creature rather than to the creator. The mark of the beast, brothers and sisters, is not a tattoo, it's not a barcode, it's not a microchip implant, it's nothing physical at all. The mark of the beast is how heaven sees and identifies those who are without Jesus Christ. Heaven sees that everything they do they do for the creature rather than the creator. They've got that creaturely, beastly mark on their right wrist. And everything they think and do is done according to man's ways and not God's ways. Which means that everything that the Christless do and think is done ultimately for the beast. Now, I think of the man who works for his family. He works hard and he protects his family. And by working for his family, protecting his family, he's doing a wonderfully good thing, isn't he? Whether he's a Christian or not, that's a good thing to do. The fact is, if a man is working for his family, protecting his family, and he's not doing it ultimately for Christ, then he's doing it for the creature. He's doing it ultimately for an image bearer, not for the one whose image they bear. He does these things with the creator's gifts of breath, strength and intelligence without acknowledging and giving thanks to the creator himself. I use this example of a man, a non-Christian man in this case, who is manifestly doing something good. He's working for his family, protecting his family. I use this example of manifest goodness to show that whatever is done on earth, whether it is outwardly evil or good, if it's not done under Christ, and under his law, 
and for his glory, then it's done for the beast. That person is marked. They're doing and they're thinking with the mark of the beast. And this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, this doesn't mean that the Christless Father will not achieve any good. It doesn't mean that he should stop protecting his family and providing for his family. It does mean that he should repent of creature-centeredness and bring his life, mind, strength, skill and work under the reign of Christ to do it for his name and his glory. Then a fundamentally idolatrous work will become a fundamentally God-glorifying work. And the example I've given here applies to every, everyone in everything that we do. Notice that our passage teaches that life without the mark of the beast is very difficult. No one can buy or sell unless they have that mark. And the original readers of the book of Revelation, they were experiencing that every day. Those who refused to go to the local temple, we talk about Asia Minor here, cities under Roman control. Those who refused to go to a Roman temple and to burn a pinch of incense at the altar and to say, Caesar is Lord. Well, they were disqualified from the civil service. They were disqualified from serving in the army. They were shunned from the ruling classes, from the mercantile classes. And they were rejected from the craftsmen's guilds. If you didn't say Caesar is Lord, if you didn't, in other words, take that mark of the beast on your wrist and on your forehead. And it was very difficult to take a full part in society and to buy and sell like everyone else. Without the mark, without agreeing with everyone else, not to serve God, but to give one's primary allegiance to the creature rather than the creator, you were excluded to some extent from public life. And of course, many Christians lost their lives. They were arrested, tried, condemned, and died in the arena because they refused to take that mark and to say, I will put the creature first in what I do and think. Those who don't bear the mark of the beast, who don't think and act with the godless majority, will find life much more difficult. This is the clear warning from the book of Revelation. And we need to hear that warning. And we need to heed that warning. Because we will always feel the pressure. We will always be tempted to stray from Christ 
and to accept that mark. And so we need to hear this warning in advance from the book of Revelation. And so today we've heard three warnings. Beware of the counterfeit Christ. Beware of counterfeit worship. Beware of the mark of the beast. Praise Jesus Christ because his blood has freed us from the beast's slavery. His death on the cross has broken those chains of slavery to sin and to the devil. If you've repented of your sin and you've turned to trust in Jesus Christ for your now and for your future, we don't read this chapter with fear. We read this chapter with a heart full of love and thanks that Jesus has freed us from that awful, awful slavery to the beast and worshipping the beast and living for the beast and ultimately being condemned with the beast and sharing his judgment in the lake of fire. Praise Jesus Christ because before we had the mark of the beast, we were serving the creature, not the creator. And all our thoughts were creature-centered. Praise Jesus Christ that he has given us a new mark. He's marked us with the Holy Spirit. He's marked us with himself. We have been filled with the Spirit of Christ. He lives in us and we live in him. Praise Jesus Christ that we now have a good, loving, and kind master. The devil is a cruel master. Serving him is a terrible slavery, and it brings great misery now and eternal judgment. Praise God that we have a loving and kind master in Jesus, who only ever commands what is good and right and what is good for us. And at the final judgment, we have nothing to fear. We look forward to an eternity of living with him, alongside him, praising him, enjoying him, serving him together. Praise Jesus that his death has set us free from the mark of the beast. Let us renew our repentance and renew our trust in him today. Amen.